3: Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the Girls and Boys NSAA High School Soccer Championships from Morrison Stadium at Creighton University. Tuesday, May 14th, see Class B boys at 5.30 p.m. Central and Class A boys at 8 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media.
2: Welcome to Heard At Sports Radio. Williams right to left on the midcourt. Smith pressuring him out
5: there. One four look. Here comes KSA from a double stagger. Puts it up on the way. Got it! Got it! Got it! Got it! 34-30, <laughs> Nebraska by four. Kase Tominaga.
2: Another central valley. Yeah, three in the 6-0 run. Weiberg!
5: The other way! Pisa! And off the window! How about those Huskers? How about the Huskers? And now on the right side, it's Williams. Screen for him by Alec. Rejects the screen. Dancing around into Alec. Puts it up and in. Puts it up and in. You can start to smell it. Get a stop now, boys. 82 to 70, Nebraska by a dozen. Slicing and dicing the Purdue defense. Nebraska from the high post and passes by Alec. And you hear the Go Big Red Champ. Get this ball in bounds let this let this crowd storm the floor baby kill us into Braden smith five four three two one and for the first time in 41 years nebraska knocks off the top-ranked team in the country and they are storming the floor they are storming the floor they are storming the floor I love, it. love it. your name, Fred Hoiberg.
2: There's <laughs> your signature win. They're partying here in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> what madness. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Unbelievable. 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 Oh, my goodness. This is pandemonium.
0: Good morning. Welcome into Herd Out Sports Radio here on AM 590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We're live from the Herd Out Sports Bar and Grill. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. What up? And we are... Smiling. We are leading the show with something I don't think I've ever led a show with before. And that is Nebraska basketball. Oh, I thought we were talking Little League baseball. Absolutely, no. What what Uh, was I doing in notes last night? (laughs) They had I mean you could make the argument it's certainly the biggest win in modern nebraska ball history easily um you'd have to go before my lifetime i think to get one bigger than that i mean you've got somewhere you know you go back to 20 when they made the NCAA tournament. There was a no-sit Sunday. It was kind of a they have to win to feel good about getting in. They win. It was an amazing performance. Uh, But this is the number one team in the country. And this isn't a... This isn't a preseason. Like last year, if you had beaten North Carolina at the beginning of the year, they were technically the number one team in the country.
3: But they didn't act and play
0: like the number one team. Exactly. That (laughs) That wasn't a very good number one team in the country in North Carolina. We're halfway through the year. Purdue has been incredible. Mm -hmm. They lost one game in overtime to a conference opponent prior to
3: last night. Remember, Purdue was also in the Maui Invitational where they played like Two top ten Yeah, teams. the Maui Invitational was insane, and they swept through it. And
0: then, not just this year, but you go back to last year. This is not a flash-in-the-pan Purdue team either. They were a number one seed. I know they got knocked off. But they were a number one seed in the NCAA tournament last year. This has been a very good program for a while, and they were a legitimate number one in the country. And Nebraska not only won, but... If you remove yourself from the from the moment for a second, they were in control for pretty much that entire game. They kept Purdue at arm's length for almost that entire game. There were a couple stretches in the second half. I think the closest it ended up getting was 51-50. Purdue did Purdue take a lead in the second half? Oh man! Briefly, you're, I think they briefly. You're testing me now. I think they briefly did in that after it went 51-50. Maybe I, I think it went back and forth a couple times, but the way Nebraska, did? I think so. I think there
3: were a few minutes where it went back and you know forth. I you know what's great about. Uh, I'll say let's, ha- let's having like guys like Sheamus and uh, Rob yes. send us stats after games. Uh, we can find out how many lead changes there were. And uh, by just pulling up the stat sheet, the PDF, it is two. There were two lead changes. It does not tell me when they happened. Yeah, um, I'd have to look at the
0: play-by-play, which I'm not going to try and do while we're talking on the air. But, yes,
3: I, I mean, two lead changes is incredibly low yes. for a matchup uh, that Purdue is, is, is in. Absolutely. Especially, I mean,
0: but the point is Nebraska – essentially had, had total control, control of the game the entire time. Mm-hmm. I know it felt nerve-wracking because as, a, as somebody who's followed not just Nebraska basketball but Nebraska sports, you expect a shoe to drop at some point. You're kind of just waiting, especially in the last decade, right? You're waiting for the bad thing to happen. And I got to tell you, Nebraska's on a pretty good run here of the good things happening, both in basketball and in football. This was, I mean, we saw it, Matt on the on the uh, Twitter stream says this is by far the best win in their history. They essentially dominated that game. And that's kind of my point here. This wasn't
3: a... This didn't feel like a fluky win by any means. Didn't feel like a fluke. Didn't fluke. Didn't feel like a sweat. And look, I'll tell you this too. You mentioned like you were kind of waiting for that moment where Nebraska was just going to crumble. And I think that moment came early in the second half when Purdue Mm -hmm. started making threes again. They went on their run. But the difference here is and the reason why all of last night I wasn't um, ever feeling uh, a panicky state is because Nebraska found ways to still get their points while Purdue was getting more points, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because they had that 11-point buffer at half, they were able to allow a 13-5 run, whatever it was, for Purdue to open the half yep. and still feel comfortable that they weren't out of the game yet. Yeah, they, still That have Purdue the lead. wasn't taking yeah. over. And because that feeling was there, that's why I never felt at any point that that lead, even if it got relinquished for a point or two, wasn't going to get relinquished by, by game's end. And you mentioned, too, that you don't think this win was a fluke. So real quick, Purdue didn't take a lead in the second half. 51-50 was the closest that it got. Okay, so only first half. And, and think about it, too. Those lead changes probably happened when it was like 12-10 to 10 and like 16-14. Yeah, I think both teams were pre-30 points when it happened but just scrolling through here so you mentioned that it wasn't a fluke and and you know i'm totally with you nebraska is built to be an ncaa tournament team yeah i mean we heard fanta say it when he came on with us before the season but i, I i'm more looking at because i needed to see it mm-hmm. like fanta i mean he's a genius he's a he's a basketball he, that, genius.
0: that was that was one of his better calls i've heard him make and, and a very bold one yeah at that
3: it, to, to I thought claim, this was an NIT team. Well, yeah, to claim I, that Nebraska's, like, yeah. officially back, that's pretty bold to say after, you know, you, you kind of saw what they did in the offseason and, and flipped over a ton of things. It's not Derek Walker, Sam Griesel anymore. It's like five new players in, or four new players in A Tominaga.
0: Yeah, I was, so, I was really concerned about Walker and Griesel. I
3: really was. But it, you, you look at how they carry themselves, their demeanor, their body language, their confidence. They stand on business. And... You can see that they're an NCAA tournament team, not only based on how they they talk after a win like that, but how they experience the court rushing as Mm -hmm. well. Like, they didn't get wrapped up in that moment. They enjoyed that moment, but it wasn't like they're a 16 seed taking down a one in the NCAA tournament where they're like, we're this Cinderella team. This Nebraska team doesn't believe they're a Cinderella. They believe they're the real deal, and they're showing that they're the real deal too. They kind of just shook it off and said... Nope, we know what we are. We know we know what we can do, and other teams, whether it's in the Big Ten, um, non-con, or, or you know, tournament teams that happen to see Nebraska at some point. This is a scary team to play against. You don't oh, want to play yeah. against this team because even when it's not going incredibly uh, right for Nebraska, like let's say Wisconsin. Wisconsin was making everything, mm-hmm. um, and, and Nebraska didn't play bad. No, they, they shot didn't. the ball very well. Defensively, they weren't good
0: enough. Yeah, overall, they, weren't, they
3: weren't physical enough. Overall, but, they weren't bad. But they will out-physical you 95% of games. 95% of games this season, Nebraska will out-physical their opponent. I don't even know if that's like a, a, a word, out-physical. <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They will bully you. They will completely completely tear you down why did Edie have two points in the first half not just because he started to get in a little bit of foul trouble but because Rink Mast was and look he needs more credit like I don't think nationally Rink Mast is getting enough credit we give him a ton but Rink is disruptive he has great footwork he uh, his form uh, as he defends is just beautiful like, he's, the, he's kind of like a, a little Ryan Kalkbrenner-esque. <laughs> he may not be the shot blocker, but in terms of uh, form, straight-up form, good defense, like, that. that's kind of what you get out of Rink. He's a little more mobile, I think. He can get out to the perimeter faster than Calk could, but that's just because Kalk is so much taller and his length is, is what saves him a lot of times in, in shot blocking opportunities. But Rink taking down... Zach Eady in that game, completely taking him out of the game, and then also the double team that you saw down low to force Edie to move out instead of in. I mean, the game plan was incredible.
0: So that's the part that I want to talk about was the game plan. Like, obviously, Mass did a great job on him, but the game plan to kind of swarm Edie was an incredible... It was executed at an incredibly high level. It was... Not just the fact that they were able to bother Edie, but the fact that they were able to bother Edie and then recover out to everyone else. Like, yes, there were some open shots for Purdue that they didn't knock down, but they shot the ball 40% from three. It's not like 394 excuse me, 39.4% for three. That's a good number. It's not like they went ice cold on wide open threes and just couldn't throw it in the ocean. You'll take 39.4% on 33-3 attempts pretty much every night. Now, Nebraska shot 60% from three. They shot out of their mind. Is that good? Which is the only real outlier here, I feel well, like. But couldn't miss. This was one of those Casey games well, that he showed up. Casey and-, and Wilcher had huge shot, And I, I will say, the one we're going to forget about, Josiah Alec in the corner hit yeah. an enormous three. Well, when he made it, I go, this guy can shoot the and- long ball? <laughs> And so did Juwan Gary. They were kind of in the similar stretch. Yes. And I Gary's think Gary's bucket. came first. I thought it was a two because I couldn't – I didn't – he was in the corner, of, of the far corner. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see it very well. But they gave him the three on it. That one and the, and the Alec one were enormous. But we call those put-away points. The game that the, – the game plan for Edie was execu- – first of all was – the right game plan, and then it was executed in a way that allowed them to... I mean, listen, he had 15 points and 7 rebounds. You look at that and you go, oh, that's a pretty good game. He averages like 22 and 10. So if you can hold Zach Eady to 15 and 7, you did an incredible job. And they really did. Mass played incredibly well. He ends up uh, with uh, 18 points. He didn't lead scores. Uh, Tominaga had 19. But the way that he was able to both defend Edie, but what I was what I think is a real problem for Purdue is a guy like Mast who is a is a little too quick for Edie. Mast is not even the quickest big he's probably gonna fi- face this year. But obviously you can't match up Edie size for size, right? Like that person just doesn't exist in college basketball and barely exists in the NBA. But you can make it really uncomfortable for him in terms of his athleticism and quickness, because that's a place where he can be beat. And I thought Mast did a really good job of that. You saw a baseline spin early that got his baby hook is I mean, just it, it's a touch of grace. It, it, it really is, but he, he had a baseline spin early that Edie couldn't keep up with. And you got to the point where they were ha- Purdue was having to send help on Mast because Edie was having a hard time staying in front of him or behind him on a post-up, however you want to put it, but staying between Mast and the basket. So being able to expend that much energy on both ends of the floor against what most people are going to vote likely as the National Player of the Year and Zach Edie was an incredible performance from Rink Mast. And I will say one of the other things that makes me that I really enjoyed about this game was I've been and he's been playing like this for a little bit now but I've been waiting for this version of CJ Wilcher for a while he came out of high school with this reputation of being an incredible shooter he didn't play much at Xavier which is where I kind of got familiar with him in the Big East and you're kind of
3: waiting on this guy I think he was a four-star coming didn't out really of high have school a lot of time last year though because his I think his role kind of – if, say, he got 10 minutes, it, 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 like by season's end he was getting like seven, eight minutes.
0: Yeah, his role has not been consistent at Nebraska. He hasn't consistently been able to knock down shots. And his numbers have been – like the percentages have been okay, but it didn't feel like there was a guy you could rely on mm-hmm. when you needed him to make shots. Man, when Purdue really locked in on Tominaga for most of that second half – Wilcher came through huge. He was 4 for 5 from the field, 16 points, 3 of 4 from 3-point range, and did not record a single other stat except for a single personal foul. But that's exactly what they needed out of C.J. Wilcher as a floor spacer, as a guy that could make shots. That He was one of the reasons. You mentioned that run Purdue had early in the second half. He was one of the big reasons why Nebraska was able to punch back and get that lead back out to six, seven points after it got down to one. And really, that's kind of where it sat. Purdue didn't get much closer than six points for the last 10 or so minutes of the game. Nebraska did a really good job of keeping them at arm's length. And then by the time you got to the finishing time, Purdue looked out of gas. Like they looked like they had run out of steam trying to overcome multiple double digit leads. And they didn't have anything left. And Nebraska did. And it ended up being one of the cooler moments. I mean, there's been a few handful of cool moments over the last, like, sports calendar year for the University of Nebraska. Unfortunately, not very many of them came on the football field. But you got Volleyball Day in Nebraska, which is untouchable in terms of its magnitude. But this might be the biggest win in Nebraska program history. It's certainly in the top handful. And – The way that you saw PBA last night react to what happened, you see Matt Rule rushing the court with fans, which – like, Which, is anybody shocked by that? No, but the more this guy exists, the more just like, I love this dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I said this before the season every time I heard a
3: presser, and now every time he talks. Well, because his values don't just, ha- they're not just with the football team. He genuine, this is value in life. This is who he That's is. That's how he carries himself. Yeah. He doesn't say OOU and say, this is only a football thing. No. No, this is a Nebraska
0: He's thing. going to wrestling matches before Nash Huttmacher was on the team. He's going to, to volleyball when he's not exhausted from the game that he just coached. He's going to men's basketball. He support, he's about, and it's not just the university, he's about Nebraska. That's why I love Matt Rule, because I'm about where I'm from,
3: right? Where I, I come from. <laughs> There's corn bread and chicken. No, I'm good. I'm, um, I'm a like not an Alan Jackson fan. No, I I don't listen. Whoa! I don't listen to a lot of country. that. Was a quick no there, Shane? Did you hear that? I could go for that. Something. Was a, that was a little disgusting? I could go for that I, I just don't and listen chicken. Country, I, it's not. Yeah, a, that was disgusting. Like you, disgust yeah. you disgust me, Robbie. Yeah, disgust me. Yeah, country. Blasphemy.
0: Country disgust me a little bit. Um, um, that's. <laughs> I think that's the first time <laughs> I've ever used the word blasphemy. Um, on probably in not it doesn't come up a lot. Well, it does when you're Stephen A. Smith. Well, that's true. Uh but that that's one of the things that I love the most about Nebraska, about Matt Rule is and I talked about this in 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 the difference between him and and Scott Frost is even though Scott Frost was from here Matt Rule is more of one of us than Scott Frost ever felt. And I don't want to make this about Matt Rule, but it was really cool to see him charging the court uh like the rest of the fans here. What, how about
3: Sam Hoiberg's? Um, just not, yes. not not just his his dominance because like I, I want to call it dominance because the way he plays is so scrappy. I feel like he's such a dominant player. Dominance for probably, for, for his role. Yeah, for his role, I think he's a dominant scrappy player. So let, me, say, let me Let me put an adjective <laughs> in front of scrappy player and let that be dominant. Let it be that, Ravi, because the yeah. way that he's playing and the way that he's embraced his role at Nebraska is also a little C.J. Wilcher-esque uh, because, Sam, I, I, it's tough. It's tough to play for your parent.
1: Oh, uh, sure, yeah.
3: In in all cases. I never played for my parent, but I know people that have, and they always say it. Look, I mean, let, uh, not just to make this a, a Creighton example, but it's it's – It's pretty timely. When Doug McDermott came back and spoke, Mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, it wasn't easy playing for my dad. Yeah. uh, But I wouldn't have changed it. And I think that's how Sam would, would say it too. And just how he's developed and grown into the player that he is because he wasn't a high recruit. No. Like, and, a lot I mean, of, and look, we can just call it how it is. Like He got his spot on the team because his dad's the coach. Yeah. So like he's there, but some sometimes you have to make the most of your moment, and that's what Sam Hoiberg does. The way he gets to the rack, the way he sees the floor. He may not take the best shots all the time, but defensively he is absolutely incredible because he moves, he's, he's never tired, and if there's an open guy, on the floor, he will run across the court to go guard that man. Like, that's just the type of guy, the type of player, the type of teammate he is, and you can't you can't teach scrappy. Sometimes you just have to be scrappy, mm-hmm. and that's Sam Hoiberg.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't use the term dominant. I would use the term impactful. He's incredibly impactful.
3: No, he's dominant. He's a in- dominant scrappy player.
0: <laughs> yeah, hard pass there. Um, Sam Hoiberg is incredibly impactful in what he's asked to do, and he's sort of I think he's a real embodiment of what this team has turned out to be in the sense of we've talked a lot about before how this team fits and makes sense together in a way that a lot of – Fred Hoyberg's earlier teams at Nebraska didn't really you didn't really have guys that wanted to be role players before. You didn't really have guys that would accept their role on the team before. It was a lot of transfers. That's why this team is is built to be a, it's why a deep tournament they're run team. So much better than his previous teams have been is because you have a team that actually makes sense in a basketball wise in a basketball sense and not just on paper and Sam Hoyberg's a great example of that. And I do think he's more talented than people give him credit for because he you know he's a walk on, he's the coach's kid and he he looks like a walk on. Like with the headband yeah, and all, the you know he one hundred percent looks like he does not belong. Yeah, he looks like a team manager, like he does. Like that's what that's the look. But he's a good basketball player. You don't play twenty four minutes against the number one team in the country and score nine points. I mean his He's got like the perfect glue guy line, right? Nine points, two rebounds, three assists, three steals, no turnovers. And the two that stick out the most to you are those steals and breakaway fast breaks where he's all alone and finishes by himself in front of the Purdue defense. He is incredibly impactful in what they ask him to do. And honestly, they probably don't win last night without his contributions. That was how impactful he was. Now, We've kind of buried the lead a little bit here because we haven't talked that much about Tominaga. And he deserves to be talked about. He deserves more time than we have left in this segment. So I'm going to have you hold that thought right there. There's also there's something I said on Twitter that last night that people freaked out a little bit about, but I want to explain what I meant. We'll get to that and more. We'll also set up the show at some point probably here. <laughs> it's a Wednesday. I'm Robbie Lula. It's Andrew Rogers. We are live... From her, at Sports Bar and Grill on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. You can also join us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always be be a part of the show. You can give us a call at 888-638-4876. That's the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline. Coming up next, we will set up the show, and we'll get into Casey Tominaga's impact here on the
2: You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. You know, for us to get out there and give ourselves a chance against that team, the number one for a reason.
6: They got the most dominant player in the country, and then they shoot uh, it—you know, almost forty percent as a team around him. So they put you in a really difficult position. But I thought our guys really followed the game plan. I thought both ends of the floor, we played exactly how we needed to play.
0: Welcome back here to Herd Out Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We are live from the Herd Out Sports Bar and Grill. You can also catch us on the Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube streams where Jordan W. says, Robbie Lula, a man of great taste with the white monster. I mean, no free promos, but
3: got to stay awake. You know, it's it's an early morning. Not a fan of the white. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, I'm not really a fan of monster, though. So I I guess that... I shouldn't tear down your choice specific flavor, because I don't like the, the energy drink.
0: Yeah, there are certain energy drinks that have like a little bit of an aftertaste that I don't love, and this one doesn't have an aftertaste. To me at least. Yeah, I, like, I don't like Red Bull. I, I don't love
3: Red Bull. Um, I don't like monster. Maybe I just don't like energy.: I like C4. <laughs> That's okay to me. I, Bang used to be my thing, and now <laughs> it's not anymore. Because I, I drank it too much. Yeah, you kind of got oversaturated yeah, with it. Yeah, so Bang's kind of overrated to me. I'm on the Celsius kick now. Yeah, my wife. Why am I it? talking about all these brands? Like, screw uh, that. I, I don't, yeah. You, I, if, if you want to be talked about on the show, you, you got, can give us a call. You can sponsor us. 888 638 4876. We have plenty of things I, that you can sponsor. I will like whatever energy drink
0: you have to offer. <laughs> um, What the energy drink for Nebraska, early in the game at least, was What co- gave them wings? Was Kasei Tomonaga. He. I think early on his performance, because they did a better job on him. They they were blanketing him. They were basically face guarding him in the second half for much of that second half. But in the first half, I think he helped get Nebraska to the point where they not only believed they could win, but they could see a path to victory. And he went through some stretches there in the first half. It was kind of, if I remember right, it was him – and Sam Hoyberg that went through a stretch that stretched that lead out to double digits late in the second in the first half there. and yeah, the 13-0 run. Yeah, and I think that's where Nebraska really started to be like, oh, not just we can hang with this team, but, oh, we can beat this team. Like, we can go out and beat this What's team. What's funny is they knew that, though, before the game even started. I know, but it, once it starts, because here's, here's the difference between this game and, like, Wisconsin, for example. They went up to Wisconsin believing they could win that game and knowing they could win that game and knowing they could hang with them, and then they got kind of punched in the mouth early, and it felt like they had never totally recovered from that. They started off what eight to two in this one. Right. They they punched
3: Purdue in the mouth. But first. I don't think it's a Nebraska thing. I think it's more of a Purdue thing and coming in knowing the history of this matchup at the vault mm-hmm. of. Guys, this game's always close. Like, last year, we were the three. I think they were the three. And this game went to overtime. And this Nebraska team, we scouted them. We know what they are. They're better than they were last year. Like, that's what Purdue was thinking coming Mm -hmm. in. So they're kind of coming maybe more tense than Nebraska. So I think it's actually more of a Purdue thing entering Pinnacle Bank Arena than it is Nebraska knowing that they were going to win because you go into every game knowing that you're going to win and I know what you're saying there with with like the Wisconsin thing you you have a lot of momentum you're you're kind of feeling a little high and you're like okay this is this is our thing but then when you uh you know get beat like you did yeah they kind of fall well, it, fell it, flat it, against it's Wisconsin it's kind of like a it's kind of like a punch in the gut like we played well and we still got you know tatered beat up pretty good yeah we yeah. still we we still got tatered. You come back here and you're facing the one seed, but knowing the history of this matchup, knowing how last year felt when you were so close, Nebraska had so much motivation and they knew the fan support was going to be there, whether the weather was as bad as it was last night or not. It it just seemed like at no point did they think they were going to lose, but Purdue coming in. If they come in tense and they don't start off as strong as they have this season, when they beat Tennessee, when they beat Arizona, uh, Gonzaga, they beat Marquette, uh, and all of those games where they start out strong, Nebraska will get to you. They'll they'll get to you. They'll yeah. get under your skin. I think and Nebraska will be able to recover. I think
0: Nebraska needed a strong first half to to go from
3: the belief factor in the second From half was different than the
0: first to conviction right like there's, there's a difference there right like you can believe and then when you actually see it happen you yeah, believe, believe and then no you you, kn- you they knew at that point especially at that stretch where they stretched it out to double digits at the end of the first half and that was largely Tominaga and then you had the shot i believe it was just either it was just before or just after the under four timeout in the second half the shot i don't even know how Tominaga
3: got it off I I don't know how he gets off half the (laughs) shots he takes. Fair, I mean, (laughs) he's like, if my hand is here, that's where the defender's body is on Kese Tominaga. And he somehow gets the ball between the hand or body of that defender up an arc and splash. Like, it's just wash, rinse, repeat with that guy. It is. It was one of the – and I I tweeted
0: about it as it happened. I said, you know, if Nebraska holds on to this game – that's a shot that we're going to look at because there were a couple stretches where Purdue's defense started ratcheting up a little bit. And you're like, okay, Nebraska's not getting quite the looks that they want to. They're not getting uh, – they're kind of seemingly a little bit more disjointed on offense than they had been at other stretches. But that's, every time that happened, somebody hit a big shot. We mentioned the the Juwan Gary huge shot. We mentioned the Josiah Alec. We mentioned – uh, CJ Wilcher did it multiple times. And then that one by Casey Tominaga at the, at, toward the end there was kind of the one where you're like, Oh yeah, they're going to do this. And that to me is what Tominaga, like that's the value of a Casey Tominaga, right? He's got his flaws. He is limited in certain things on a basketball court. Um, for his size and not really being a point guard, like it's, it can be tough certain situations. It can be tough to get him the shots he needs because he doesn't really necessarily create for himself the way uh, a player of his size typically does. But that right there you saw is the value of a guy like Tominaga is he can hit those shots and get you out of trouble when nothing else is going right. And that's what Nebraska has this year that they haven't had in years past. They've got, they've got a couple – Get you out of trouble, guys. And I don't think they have one guy that you feel super confident. They're like, oh, he's always going to be able to do that. Yeah,
3: he's getting the ball when we need him to get the yeah. ball in this moment. Like if if Creighton has
0: a problem, they're probably going to Trey Alexander. You feel pretty good about that, and they're going to live. a Shireman. Yeah, and they're going to live with the results there. Nebraska has a few different options, and at some point that may come to bite them because they don't necessarily have like that one guy. But for right now, and for last night especially. It was a huge help because Purdue couldn't key on one guy. Uh, before we we get to, I mean, I, we'll talk about other things at some point today. Uh, but this is but it's it's, a, it's an exciting day. I, it's a huge day for Nebraska basketball, and it is uh, again. It might be the biggest win in program history. It's exactly. certainly. I mean, they hadn't beat the a number one team in forty one years. Uh, but I, I tweeted something out last night that I said at least for one night. Nebraska basketball is the best team in the country. And I believe that to be true. And that doesn't mean that they're – I mean, listen, this is very likely a tournament team. Things would have to go very poorly from here on out, and we haven't seen an indication of that. Like, there's a very good chance they'll be ranked next week. Um, That doesn't mean I think they're going to a Final Four. It doesn't mean anything. But for one night, nobody has played Purdue like this. No one. The one loss was Northwestern Northwestern in overtime. But they that swept, was close all game. They swept through a ridiculous Maui field. No one has played Purdue like this. Purdue has been one, pretty much the best team, regular season team in the country for two years almost. Nebraska did something to them
3: that I haven't seen done to them, I don't think, in the last two years. It's because they take away the big man. And that's what Nebraska does so, so well. And they're, think about their losses this season, okay? Mm-hmm. They lost to Creighton. Mm-hmm. They lost to Minnesota. Yep. And they lost to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yep. Okay? The reason I say they take away the big man, in two of those three losses, that's exactly what they did. The Minnesota loss is kind of like... That's the outlier. Uh, yeah, and you know, I kind of kick it to the curb right now because Minnesota's actually playing decent basketball. A lot better, yeah. um, So maybe it will age well. I, I, I'm not going to, like, jump on that train just yet. But you know Nebraska that was so early in the season I, you know forget about it mm-hmm. move forward but the other two losses to Creighton and Wisconsin in those games those teams won via the 3 mm-hmm. the, the 3 point shooting if that's what beats Nebraska but when Nebraska when Nebraska beats you they take away your big man Kalk only had 13 points in that mm-hmm. game he should have had more but he only had 13. Edie in this game only, I think, had 15. 15 points. And and the reason he had 15 was because he was getting some some bunnies late that Nebraska didn't have to guard anymore because they were they were up by so much. By taking away the big man, by winning the physical battle, by double-teaming your guy down low, your best player down low, Nebraska will eat you alive inside the perimeter. They will win more games because of that than they'll lose.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and and that's what we've seen so far this year. Uh, coming up next, we'll kind of wrap up our Nebraska basketball discussion. We'll let you know what's else what else is coming up here on the show, and uh, we will wrap up our number one on Herd Sports Radio.
2: You're listening to Hurt At Sports Radio.
5: He's got Tominaga coming to it. Hides chasing him, fires, and scores! It's unbelievable! Unbelievable three by KSA Tominaga. Ow.
0: Wrapping up hour number one here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. Andrew Rogers here. We're live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to set up the show. We're only 45 minutes in. Uh, Brian Christofferson in our next segment, kicking off the 8 o'clock hour. As he does join every us Wednesday. From Husker 24-7, Kevin Suits uh, from 1011 News in Lincoln. He as he does every other Wednesday. At the game last night. Uh, so we will uh, get some, some thoughts from him. And then at 9 o'clock we'll be joined by our very own Anna Bellinghausen from Herd at Sports. She, she does every Wednesday. Uh, she does as well. And then we're going to play a little trivia with Anna as well. We're going to talk a little Creighton with Anna. Don't, you know? I'm, we're not going to forget you know, the Jays beat DePaul last night. Not nearly as impressive as Nebraska knocking off the number one team in the country, which is why we're not getting to them uh, off the top here. Uh, but I, I just uh, I had one final thought on Nebraska basketball before we kind of start to to move on to some other things. And obviously, with our guests, we'll we'll return to uh, Nebraska's big win last night. But uh, I think you could go three hours on it. I mean, three hours on any one topic's a lot.
3: Yeah, it's a long time because we would just be recycling what we've said at the I beginning. Like to break I'd, things I'd be, up I'd
0: be happy bit. with that. Well, Shane, you, it's because you don't really listen to the show over there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, all right. <laughs> oh, Shane's um, just like, all
0: right, I'll take note of that. He just tunes in and out. Hey, you're me... on his list
3: now, <laughs> not the nice list. Um,
0: no, so I, you know that there's a movie that we both really, really like, maybe even love. Pearl and Harbor. No, for love it's of the a game. Good movie. Pearl Harbor's better than I remember it. Like I, I went and saw it in theaters when I was when I was younger, and I was expecting Saving Private Ryan, and it wasn't that. And so I didn't like it at the time. But upon rewatch, it's better than I remember. But I do love For the Love of the Game. I only said Pearl Harbor it's because it's the fiance's favorite movie. Listen, it's, uh, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Um, so we both really like the movie For Love of the Game. There's a moment in that movie, and this is what I was, wanted to reference in the last segment wh- about what I said Nebraska, for at least one night, was the best team in the country. There's a moment in that movie where uh, Kevin Costner's character is pitching a perfect game, right? Spoilers. And yes. it's like a third. Way to year go!
3: Old. Way to go! That movie just came out, Robbie.
0: <laughs> yes. Now anybody that wants to see it can. A like twenty-six years ago, um, and he's throwing a perfect game, and his arm's starting to get tired, and he's struggling, and and his catcher, um, uh, Gus, oh, John C. Riley, John C. Riley plays his catcher. Dale uh, from Step Brothers, right? Yes, Dale. It's, yeah, it's John C. Riley. He's been in a ton of stuff. See, I don't know actual actors' <laughs> names. I only know him based on greatest like, roles. Yeah, it's Dale from Step Brothers. Um, but he he used to do a lot more serious stuff before he kind of got in with Will Ferrell and started doing a lot of comedies. But uh, John C. Riley's character goes out to the to the mound to talk to Kevin Costner, and Kevin Costner's like, "Hey, I don't, I don't know if I've got anything left." and he's like, "Hey man, just like just throw it." And this is a bad team that they're playing on, so it's kind of like the highlight of their season. And he says, "Hey, like we're the best team in baseball right now. We like we don't stink today." And I don't think Nebraska stinks. I think they're a tournament team. I think they're very very good. But when I say they were the best team in basketball last night, that's kind of the context in which I mean it, right? Like in that moment nobody was playing better basketball than Nebraska because we haven't seen anybody play that well against Purdue this year. And maybe outside of Farley Dickinson, we haven't seen anybody play that well against Purdue for a couple years. This team in that moment was the best team in college basketball. They weren't just a tournament team. They weren't just, you know, a maybe top third of the Big Ten team. They were the best team in basketball in that moment. And it's okay to to just – compartmentalize something that much just to say hey this isn't this you know i don't know what tomorrow is i don't know what it's going to look like a week from now i certainly don't know what it's going to look like in march but for one moment nebraska was the best team in college basketball and that is you know we we hear coach rule talk about it a lot a part of kind of the process and not looking past like the day you're on and looking even to the game that's next that's kind of what he's talking about, is trying to be the best team you can possibly be in the moment you're in. Michael Jordan used to talk about this all the time. Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson would talk about staying in that moment. And Nebraska captured that perfectly last night. And that's, I mean, to me, that's something, as much as the win, that's something to be celebrated is to achieve your ultimate goal in the moment that you're in is such a huge thing that a lot of people – Don't necessarily appreciate outside of like, oh, yeah, they beat the number one team in the country. It's like, yes, but in that moment, they were damn near perfect. And that's
3: awesome, too. And across the country, nobody's thinking, oh, wow, that's a huge upset. It's kind of like when Iowa State beat Houston last night. Like, oh, it's a really good win. It's a really good win. It's not a huge upset. And that's how people will address this Nebraska win, too. And that's a credit to where Hoiberg has
0: brought this team. Because even two years ago, this would have been like a Mm -hmm. basketball-shattering upset as it is now, it was, hey, Nebraska's a pretty good basketball team. They've been playing pretty
3: good, and look what they can do on the right night. They're turning heads, and you not only saw it at the beginning of the year with John Fanta, but you're starting to see it with a ton of other college basketball writers and analysts and just big TV and um, like podcast personalities, because I'm just seeing it, and I know I only follow a few of them, but Gary Parrish said something about him. John Rothstein last mm-hmm. night said something about him. Like these are some of the bigger names in college basketball. Nebraska's getting noticed. It was a Nebraska story. is back on the basketball map, and it's not because they just beat the number one seed. It's because they're a really good basketball team. Yeah. And th- people know that. They're what, thirteen and
0: three now? They're on their way to again, they they don't have a ton of work left to do to make themselves an NCAA tournament team. Like I, I don't have the number off the top of my head. I think it's sixteen or seventeen. What more. are they? Eleven and three now? Uh, thirteen and three, and three, I think. Okay. I, I think last time it was three? thirteen and th- yeah. So thirteen and three, three and two in conference.
3: Um, I think they've got. Oh, I'm thinking of what uh, Creighton was yesterday. Eleven and three.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so the, the Creighton now they're twelve and three win yesterday. Uh, four, I think. Yeah, four. Twelve and four. No, Creighton is. Was, um, was DePaul three and eleven? Yes. I know
3: I saw three and an eleven yes. in some. Paul re- was in some. DePaul uh, was three record. and eleven. Okay,
0: but I mean, you look. I think they've got sixteen games left in the regular season. Realistically, you get seven wins there, you're in. Like you would feel really good about being in at that point. If
3: they get to nineteen, I, which I, is only six wins away yeah. at this point, which they'll get it. They'll get six wins. Yeah, I'm, there, There's not a doubt in my mind that this team's going to get six more wins. If they get to 19 and still get bounced in the first round of the Big, the Big 10, Ten tournament, tournament yeah. I still think they get into a play-in game. I think because, because yeah, of the it, wins that they in have the, and it, this win right here. The seven, was it a 7-10 play-in game they
0: do? Because they do the 16s and then they do maybe it's the 12s. The 12s. The, the 12s so, do it. So if they get to 19, they're probably in the in a 12-playing game. Maybe an 11. I,
3: I think it varies. I really do think it I varies. I can't remember.
0: But if they get to 20 wins, I, I think they're pretty solidly they're in. in because they've got uh, a really good strength of schedule. They've got some good wins. I think they've got currently, as it stands and this changes. they've got three Q, uh, Q1 wins. Um, but, I mean, you look at it, there's – there's a hundred percent six or seven more wins on this schedule. Easily, I mean, easily. You've got Michigan at home. Michigan's not playing very good basketball. Nope. You've got Penn State at home. You've got Minnesota at home. You got Rutgers at home. They'll get Minnesota the second time around. That's four right there. That's four without. They've got Northwestern at home. That's five. And Northwestern's a good team, but that's a team they need to beat at home. Yeah, they they have to beat them at home. But Boo Booie is a beast. He is. So let's we'll call. It, you got four wins at home. We're not. We won't even count Northwestern. Then you've got very winnable games at Iowa, at Rutgers. Uh, you've got Ohio State at home, who's not a world beater. That's super winnable. Uh, you've got Wisconsin at home on the re- return trip. That'll be a good win if they can get it, but I'm not even going to count that one. But you've got you, – you go at Ohio State again. You've got at Michigan. Like there's 10 or 12 pretty like, – pretty re- you wouldn't even have to stretch to really think about getting wins in those 10 or 12 games. And all of a sudden – you're at – I mean, getting into the low 20s is not out of the question here for this well, team. Well, just
3: you reading that kind of has me feeling a bit uneasy because of how strong that schedule is. But that also reassures me to why I believe six more wins gets this team into the NCAA Absolutely. tournament because their, their strength of schedule is yes, so Their strength of so schedule great. will be absurd. Um, yeah, you
0: get to 19 or 20 wins for sure this team is in, and I think there's, they've got every opportunity – to get to those wins. So, uh, incredible night for Nebraska basketball. Um, I'm sure we'll talk to Kevin Suits about it at 8.30. He was there last night. Probably talk to BC a little bit about it as well. I do want to get some updates from him on what he knows with the transfer
3: situation. And Jamal Banks, is, What was that when Schaaf said he today was the day? That, um, so, was that Sam on Monday that said a decision should probably come Wednesday? What I heard
0: was – between midweek, which is today, and end of week, which is Friday. So sometime in this next few days. So we're in the window. We ex- yeah, we're in the window for Jamal Banks to make his decision. Everything I've been told is they still feel pretty good about it. Um, what about Thompson? Haven't heard as much about Thompson yet, the linebacker out of Syracuse. I know a lot of people are was interested. Was his window, though, the Wednesday to Friday? I, I don't know about his decision I window. I want to say
3: that Shafe said. Hey, was it Shafe that said it would have it been Wednesday or later? I, I don't. Guess rem-
0: Wednesday or later is any time. I was like, Wednesday or later is any from now till eternity. Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember if he gave a window for Thompson or not. But um, got some. We'll, we'll see if we can get an update from our guy Brian Munson on, on where that stands. Want to
1: <laughs> I was
0: thinking Brian Munson because he put in a crystal ball for Jamal Banks on, on three. Brian Christofferson. God, we've never talked to Brian Munson. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Uh, we'll talk to Brian Christofferson coming up next. Maybe get some updates on... Uh, this whole Dana Holgerson situation, yeah, that as well. That is one that's still still brewing, still floating out there. That's uh, maybe leaning the right direction more than it is the wrong direction. I'm curious what you think the right and wrong direction is. There, uh, we will get to all that and more coming up here on Herd at Sports Radio AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri Cities.
2: You're listening to Hurt At Sports Radio. And now on the right side, it's Williams.
5: Screen for him by Alec. Rejects the screen. Dancing around into Alec. Puts it up and in. Puts it up and in. You can start to smell it. Get a stop now, boys. 82 to 70. Nebraska by a dozen. Slicing and dicing the Purdue defense. Nebraska from the high post. And passes by Alec.
0: We're halfway through the show here on App Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri Cities, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to see our bright and shining faces on this Wednesday morning, we are joined now by our friend Kevin Suits on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. He's the sports director for 1011 News in Lincoln. Kevin, how are you doing this morning?
6: We're doing all right. Not as good as Fred Hoiberg, but doing pretty good for a Wednesday.
3: I don't know. I mean, weren't you there? I, were you rushing the floor? Did you have your big camera on the shoulder? Take me through it. Okay. It's <laughs> just you ask, Andrew,
6: uh, there, are, there are few things as challenging as a videographer in sports as a court storming because you're posed with the question or the decision, do you go in or do you hang back? Because, of course, the TV – Shot that everybody's used to seeing with the court storming is a high angle. Watch everybody run on the floor uh, onto the court, and then you say, "Look at all those idiots! They can't go anywhere now." Uh, <laughs> or you go in, and if you go in, you got to go first. So if you go back and watch the video, got to mid court about the same time as Casey Tomanaga and Josiah Alex. So I went in. I put on the running shoes. I sprinted there, and once you're in, you can't move. So uh, my, my body temperature went up like 40 degrees in the span of 30 <laughs> seconds. Everybody was there. You're getting knocked around, and, and I'm trying to hold the camera up um, above my head because if you have it on your shoulder, you, you, the thing's just going to whack you in the head, and I might get concussed. And it was just madness, but it was mad. at the end of it, you're like, that was fun, but that was really hard. Uh, <laughs> but what a really cool moment for Nebraska.
0: Uh, we're talking with Kevin Suits from Channel 11 News in Lincoln. Kevin, before the court storming, kind of take us through the atmosphere of that game. What was the energy like in the building? Because it, it translated, I thought, pretty well on TV that, the, that it was a, a pretty amped-up crowd. But were there any moments, you know, like in the second half when it gets down to 51-50? Could you, could you feel some tension in the building? What was the atmosphere like overall?
6: There was hope from the very beginning. And I heard about the Peacock Hot Mike incident where uh, Robbie Hummel and, and the guys on the broadcast were maybe dogging on the crowd. Um, and I think that must have been really early on. Some empty seats at the top. And, you know, Nebraska fans, sometimes they show up late. And, of course, the weather was a factor as well. It wasn't a sellout. But it didn't take long. It, it took about seven rink match points early on for people to get pretty juiced up about the game. And as it wore on, the energy continued to increase. And Robbie, like you said, you know, in the second half, really got charged up and the closer it got to zeros, more energy there was and there was more uh, buzz and feeling of like, wow, this is gonna happen and you know, quase Tomanaga doing the Keise Tomanaga antics after each made
0: three uh, <laughs> Like
6: that that just it fed into the energy in the building and it was rocking my ears were ringing and uh, I can't think of too many times inside Pinnacle Bank Arena you know in in the January side of the schedule that it's been that charged up as it was last night
0: Kevin can you can you think back and point to a moment where it went from sort of hopeful and excited to oh, this is actually going to happen? Was it was it that last Tomanaga three, that absurd one with about four minutes left? Or, like, was there a moment where you kind of felt a palpable change of, oh, this is happening? It was the Josiah Alex three for me. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, he took Zach
6: Eadie out <laughs> and he hit a three, and he, and he posed down the court. And you're like, if Josiah Alec is going to make that bucket in that moment, and he shot it with so much confidence uh, because that was in the stretch. You know, the threes that were made in the second half and shooting 61% from beyond the arc, that's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that'll help.
6: Nobody's going to beat you. Nobody's going to beat you when you shoot 61% from beyond the arc at home with that environment. So for me, it was the Alec three because it had come in a span in which CJ Wilcher had hit a three. Bryce Williams makes a three shortly after that. Casey had hit a couple of threes. So just the, the batch of threes that were made. And plus, I believe that that kind of stemmed the tide mm-hmm. because there wasn't really a moment in the second half where Nebraska went on the quintessential five- to seven-minute scoring drought. Every time Purdue made a run, Nebraska had an answer. And I think that, to me, is ultimately – From a basketball perspective, what I remember about that performance from the Huskers was they never went on the big drought. And each time that Purdue hit a couple of trades or went on a 7-0 run, the Huskers had an answer and they made it their night. And it was a special one.
3: Kevin, I want to change gears and talk about the high school scene for a moment because it feels like we haven't spoken to you in about a month now. Uh, We'll start with the boys over the girls. I know the girls in Lincoln are just going absolutely berserk. No, let's actually start with the girls because of – of what it looks like in Class A right now. You have nearly every Lincoln school in the rankings, the one that's not as Lincoln Southeast, but they're receiving votes. What is in the water in Lincoln that's impacting girls basketball right now?
6: Well, this isn't new. You know, girls basketball, though, the championships have likely uh, most recently been won by Omaha area schools. Lincoln contends very well in class A in girls basketball and this year is no different. Lincoln Southwest is, you know, at the top of the cut. They got Kennedy Williams who's a really talented player and she has some uh nice supporting pieces around her. But Lincoln Southeast just beat Lincoln Southwest and Lincoln Northeast has a player who's going to Illinois State and she's been starting for three years. Washington is her last name. She's a fantastic player. Um So I don't think this is a one-year look at 2024 with girls basketball in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. This has been happening for a while, and now it's all just like it's pretty even across the top as well. And I should give a shout-out to Pius as well. Pius is having a really nice season on the girls' side.
3: Now, on the boys' side, Kevin, uh, Lincoln Southeast, so the team receiving votes in Class A for the girls, is uh, the one that's ranked on the boys' side. Are they the one that you had marked on your bingo card? Because I want to say that would be a no for you. Not at all. This, this, <laughs> I mean, they, they had some players transfer
6: out of the program, so our outlook on Lincoln Southeast boys' hoops this year was down. They, they just got lost in the shuffle. Um, of course, Lincoln Southwest is going to grab a lot of the headlines with Braden Frager, a future Husker. Uh, and Southeast just kind of lurked in the weeds. And then once the hack hit, you know, keep this in mind Lincoln Southeast won the Heartland Athletic Conference tournament despite having to play one of the bunny bracket games. They had to play on the opening day when there are four teams that receive a first round bye. And they just got hot at the right time. And they've uh, taken that momentum here into the 2024 portion of their schedule. Uh, Southeast, I'd be wrong to say they they have to be the best team in Lincoln right now because their resume proves that. Uh, and Lincoln Pius tenth has Trayson Anderson. He's a Division One player who is one of the best bigs in the state, in my opinion. Uh, but you have some other teams in Lincoln that can all beat each other up, and I think that we're going to have a pretty wild final two months of
0: the high school boys season. Kevin, you mentioned right now Lincoln Southeast, probably the best boys team in the in the city. By the end of the year, do you think they'll able be able to continue that momentum and, and kind of take the quote-unquote city crown by the end of the season? Or do you think Pius or Southwest will be able to kind of catch back up to where we expected them to be at the start of the season?
6: Man, that's a great question. I think just because of the parity across the capital city, these teams might start beating each other up Mm. over the next couple of weeks. So I I don't know if you're asking me to say who's going to win the regular season city championship. Um, The money is on Southeast, but, man, the odds are not that different from Team A to Team E. I think Lincoln Northstar needs to be in the discussion as Mm. well. Um, And that's what's kind of exciting about this time of year and the way the season is shaping up to be right now here in lincoln
0: that's kevin suits he's the sports director for 1011 news in lincoln kevin i know uh pretty much everybody that was at that game last night is exhausted so get a little rest this morning we appreciate you uh getting up with us and we'll talk to you again soon
3: all right thank you much boys we appreciate you kevin
0: that's kevin suits from 1011 news in lincoln on the warhorse sportsbook Hotline, really good stuff there from Kevin, and man, <laughs> I could just imagine him holding his camera over his head while he's storming the court. Well, Kevin probably wishes he was 20 years younger, <laughs> running out on that court. Why am I imagining him as like John Cusack with the boombox over his head? Like that's like <laughs> just didn't, I can say anything. I'm just with the camera. Yeah. That's how I'm imagining our guy Kevin Suits. It's, it's a full extension thing because it that's is. the best way to get your uh, panoramic it's view. It's Gotta get those shoulders tired. That's some impressive. Uh, some impressive Those cameras work. are not light. No, they're super heavy. Uh, that's impressive work by our guy Kevin Suits. More of Hurt at Sports Radio coming up next.
2: You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio.
0: Wrapping up hour number two here on Hurtout Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And uh, we are, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as well. And we're brought to you by our friends at Dyer Law. If you've been hurt in a personal injury accident, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it, no matter what you're dealing with. Maybe you got a little fender bender after the, the snowstorm yesterday. Hopefully you're okay, but if you need some help, call the Dyer Law team at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with trusted professionals about your personal injury claim. That's dye Law. Uh, wanted to switch gears a little bit here. We've been talking a lot about Nebraska basketball for good reason. Uh, got some Nebraska football in there with our guy Brian Christofferson, but it's We had kind of a surprising, at least to you, and I. Not just me. A lot of people. Yeah. I know you were particularly surprised by it, though. I was a little bit. I I thought they really liked this guy, but the Titans moved on from Mike Vrabel uh, yesterday, which was a little bit later in the day, uh, a little bit later in the. Usually, those all come down on Monday. Um, But Mike Vrabel, gone from the Tennessee Titans, we're still not nearly at the number that Adam Schefter thought we would be at in terms of guys that got let go. Uh, A lot of guys like Matt Eberfluss seem to save their jobs late in the season with the Bears, and we still don't totally know what's going on with Bill Belichick. Although, I wonder if this Mike Vrabel thing has maybe some impact on how they end up and
3: end up handling that in New England. He easily could because he is um, a, a, a disciple of Bill Belichick. Um, now, w- there, there's a plenty of things that I could land on as to why I'm surprised Tennessee went yeah. this direction. Uh, one, th- yes, the reaction from the league. I remember reading an article last night, and uh, I, I believe the line read, yeah, I got a text back from a league source that came back with, you're blanking me. <laughs> and, like, that's kind of how, like, I felt Yeah. Uh, wh- whenever I saw the update come through. I'm like, wait a second here. Like, I know Tennessee hasn't had a, a good last two seasons, mm-hmm. but how much of that is on Mike Rabel? How much of that is not just on, like, the team? And uh, underperforming at that, Vrabel hasn't had a a really solid quarterback over those last two seasons. Like Ryan Tannehill had like a really good season three years ago when they were making kind of that surprise playoff run, but then Tannehill really didn't amount to much after that. This season. He was all over the place with who can be a consistent starter for this team. They landed on Will Levis eventually, but Will Levis didn't light the world on fire either. Mm. He had a win or two that were pretty good, but that's about it. You can only have so many well, quote-unquote good I wins mean. when you win five games in a season. But it, it is completely shocking. Mike Vrabel had that team, uh, had that team on, on the same page. Right, Everybody was on the same page. He's a, he's a player's coach, and he's been very successful as a coach in Tennessee t- outside of these last two seasons. So the fact that they moved on from him so quickly, and I say so quickly because there's so many other names in the NFL that I think should be on uh, or, or should be blacklisted than Mike Vrabel at the moment. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they were just like, nope, it's on Mike Vrabel, that's it, and they don't like take a deeper look into what the root problems are of this team uh, shows me that Tennessee isn't led well from the top.
0: Yeah, they've obviously struggled the last couple years with the quarterback play. Um, You know, Tannehill got banged up. I think the last two years he's been pretty banged up, and he's kind of just getting to a point in his career where he's not going to be as effective anymore. He definitely had the best years of his career under Mike Vrabel, especially when we go back to like 2019 when they made the AFC championship game um, and were really, really good in that year as well. But uh, I I don't think this is a guy that's going to be on the market very long. No. Especially if New England ends up moving on from Bill Belichick. They had an initial meeting, uh, Kraft and Belichick did on Monday, Um, No decision was made. He did say something that I thought was really interesting, though, because Bill Belichick said, "I'm still under contract with the Patriots," Mm -hmm. and so obviously they didn't fire him. But what I'm wondering is, are they going to try and trade him? Because, which is so funny to me, that coaches can just get traded. Yeah, and I think it's so funny. A handful of times, not a ton, but you see it some. And, But I would, I would imagine, okay, the Patriots, their organization is, has kind of been built on getting value out of things. If you've got this coach that other people want still and you want to move on, you probably want to get some value out of him, even if, it you know, maybe it's not a ton of draft compensation, but maybe you get a couple picks that, uh, that you let whoever else is in charge try and rebuild this roster. Because this roster needs a lot of help. They haven't drafted well for several years now and a lot of that is on Belichick Um, but I think if he goes somewhere else to a situation where he's not the in charge of personnel anymore he could definitely still be successful I think he's still got one of the best defensive minds in the game but that makes this Mike Vrabel thing really interesting because I think he would be by far the leader in the clubhouse to replace Belichick and I wonder if that's maybe why there's some ambiguity on the Patriots side as well at this point. Because maybe Vrabel being available tilts the scales one way or another on what they decide to do with Belichick. Because, it, I mean, listen, it seems like they're sort of at a crossroads and the only thing keeping Bill Belichick in his job right now is kind of history and nostalgia rather than current performance. Because current performance – If he was anybody else and hadn't had six Super Bowls over the last 24 years, that dude's fired in a heartbeat, right? Current performance does not indicate he should keep his job. Past performance and appreciation of what he's brought to the franchise that's why he still has the job. Well, and
3: you have to think this too. Like, how much better can you be without X person? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the question you need to ask yourself before you fire somebody. And the Titans just got a heck of a lot worse by firing a guy like Vrabel, who's had success there, who knows how to build something special, and frankly, knows how to outcoach another guy on mm-hmm. the other uh, on the opposing sidelines. I saw him do that a number of times, especially when they made that playoff run. He outcoached mm-hmm. Everybody. And he will continue to do that because he is a, he's a lifelong learner and he likes to win. I want to make a clarification, too. When I said, because normally when you call somebody a disciple, they come from a coaching tree. Mm-hmm. Um, when I called Variable a disciple of Belichick, he played for Belichick. Yeah. So that's what I meant yeah. by that. So yeah, there's probably different terminology that I could have used there to, to get that point across. But what I will add to your Belichick point. Am I wrong? Did I hear it correctly that Belichick is willing to take, like, a lesser role with the Patriots in some capacity? That's
0: what they're saying. I wonder, you know, call this maybe a crazy theory, right? I wonder if they're putting that out there so that if they are trying to trade him, whoever... Is in the market doesn't think they have to give him total control. Like mm-hmm. if he's willing to take a lesser role with the Patriots, maybe teams will be more willing to try and trade for him. And,
3: and that could be. I, I guess I thought about that move in particular because it seems like teams know ahead of time of mm-hmm. who's staying and who's getting fired or, I think they or who's idea. getting released yeah. and who's going to be a free agent someday. Uh, like I wonder if the Patriots already knew that. The Titans were on the fence about Vrabel. Yeah. So they made that claim so that maybe that could help entice Vrabel to end up with Belichick. And now instead of, you know, moving on from, you know, the goat of coaching in yeah. their eyes and yeah. in a lot of people's eyes. I mean, I think, yeah, he's
0: probably the best NFL coach we've ever seen. I don't, I don't know how, I don't think that's you a You bring take.
3: in Mike Vrabel who. Has already been groomed as a player mm-hmm. by Belichick. Now you can, you know, get in his head as a coach. It's kind of like when, and, and it's a lot different, but like when Coach Rule got to Nebraska, what was the first thing that he did? He sat down with Tom Osborne. Mm-hmm. He wanted to learn from one of the greatest coaching minds out there. Maybe that's a, a similar situation to what the Patriots can get out of a Vrabel Belichick coaching relationship.
0: Yeah, I, and I wonder if. I wonder if you just need a clean start, though, if you're New England, because I I don't know. Like, at some point, things have just run their course, and it kind of seems like that's where they're at in New England. Now, if for whatever reason they keep Belichick and he's able to make them a contender again, then that may be the most impressive thing he's done as their coach, because right now their roster is not good. Their talent's not good. Their coaching staff is not good because he's hired too many of, like, his buddies. And, you know, there's a rumor that Josh McDaniels might come back again, and it's for round three with Belichick and, and his crew there. And, you know, his son's – I think his son's still on the staff. He, he, he has this sort of inner circle of people that he trusts and doesn't go outside of it. Now, Rabel probably would be in that inner circle, but I wonder at some point if you're just like, hey, we need to move on. Because even – okay, Belichick is what, 71, 72? Even if it starts to get better, what's the future there? I mean, you don't have a long-term future there with Belichick anymore. Do you want to have to fire the greatest coach in NFL history? Probably not. That's why I think a trade is enticing to them. Because then you can have, you can save some, you can kind of save the dignity of not having to fire Bill Belichick, you get some compensation in return. Belichick probably feels better about the situation, uh, about going to another opportunity where he can try and be successful again. At a certain point, I think you just have to say, hey, this has been terrific. It's time for everybody to move on. And that's where I feel like the Patriots are at. We'll see, though, because again, it's hard to cut ties with a legend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw it's it happen. Never easy. I saw it happen with Florida State and Bobby Bowden, and it took a while for those wounds to heal. We saw it here at Nebraska with Frank Solich, Hall of Famer, Frank Solich. It seems those wounds have finally healed as well. Coming up next, we're gonna to talk to our very own Anna Bellinghausen. Creighton played a basketball game last night too. Didn't forget. Uh, we will talk a little bit about that with her coming up next on her sports
3: radio.
2: Welcome to Hurt At Sports Radio. Offrenner up top, gathers against Nelson, two in the lane by Sirman. Left wing three, pure. Up top for Bumprenner. Sirman for his fifth three in the first half, Baylor Sirman.
0: Kicking off hour number three here on Hurt At Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha. ESPN Tri Cities and KFOR in Lincoln for this hour number three. We are brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. Four great Omaha area locations, family owned and operated for over 25 years. They've got the latest technology. They can work on anything you've got for them. They're working on Andrew's car right now as we speak. And They've been voted first place Best of Omaha for 18 years running. They are a name and a family you can trust, and they care about the place that they live. They give back with every car repaired. Go to Dingmans.com for more information, not just on the places they give back to, but also on whatever services they can provide for you as well. Make sure you go check that out at Dingmans.com. Joining us now, On the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline is our colleague, Anna Bellinghausen. Anna, how are you this morning?
4: I'm great. How are you guys?
3: What's up, AB?
4: How we doing? How's the car, Andrew? Uh,
3: The car is fine. She's she's getting taken (laughs) care of as we speak. I appreciate you asking, though. Uh, She was was in a world of hurt for about a month and a half. She's kind of like a dog. Like, you know how a dog never tells you she's injured? Um, like you know, if your dog like tore something in its leg, like it'll always act like it has nothing's happened to it. Um, that's also because dogs can't speak, but neither can my car. And my car had um, some damage for about a month and a half, and, you know, I finally took her to the vet, and she's getting worked on at Digman's. I'm telling you, she's good. She's going to come back uh, fully solid. I feel like sometimes, so you know those, like, Carfax commercials Mm -hmm. where they're like, hey, here's the same car next to each other, and then they, like, crush one of the cars down (laughs) and be like, this is its actual value. I feel like that's what my car looks like.
0: (laughs) That's all right. I'm, I'm sure our friends will take care of you over there. Uh, you know, the the Blue Jays last night got a little work in as well, uh, a very little work in against the DePaul Blue Demons. And uh, just kind of from the start, it looked like Creighton, at least they didn't play with their food, I think is how I heard someone put it. Um, what were your thoughts as you watched that game? Creighton got out to that early lead. Baylor Shireman had uh, those five first-half three-pointers. Uh, what were your early thoughts as you watched – Creighton kind of get out to a dominating lead and then just keep a DePaul at well more than arm's length all night?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was something Blue Jays were waiting for in the, the first half great start because it's something that uh, we hadn't really seen in the past few games of a strong first half start, so I think that was really encouraging. And then the only only having six turnovers, I think, is huge for this team, and and just correcting those wrongs from previous games and just miscues, miscommunication. It looked like this team was all on the same page and felt like they were really playing together. Had a dominating win and and another important conference win again for confidence and not only that but also the resume and they did get a little help from nebraska last night too
0: for sure Uh, anna you mentioned those turnovers that's been an area of concern against some of Creighton's better opponents so far this year obviously DePaul does not fall on that list of some of their better opponents so how much can you take away from this game whether it be the turnovers whether it be some of the uh, ball movement or, or scoring distribution that we saw between kind of the big three how much can you take from this game that you think actually can translate to better teams
4: yeah, I think it's a good question, but again, it's it's a conference opponent on the road too in a, in a different environment, so I think you have to put that into account. And I still would take away that uh, this team's moving better with the ball, and I think regardless of opponent, you still have to do it. I mean, you think back to those early games and the lobs that – uh, whoever was throwing it to Kalkbrenner was kind of just not on the same page there. I think that's been cleaned up a little bit. So I think regardless of opponent, it's it's still a, a great step in in the right direction for Creighton and in uh, making sure they have more assists than turnovers. I think that's obviously a key. And uh, yeah, I was impressed with the ball movement. I think I don't think you can belittle it necessarily because it it was a a team that's not as good in the, in the Big East Conference, but. Um, again, you still got to show up when it counts against those uh, top-tier Big East opponents that they'll they'll see pretty soon here. But they've got a nice January slate to get things rolling.
3: Now, that's a that's a good thing to look at, Anna, because you know something I paid close attention to were the two losses in Big East play to kind of open things up and how Creighton found a way to respond. And yes, they were against uh, a couple of lower-ended opponents in DePaul and Georgetown, but then you go back to even that win against Providence, which was a good one despite not having uh, Bryce Hopkins in the lineup. And, you know, we talked a little bit about body language to open today, about how Nebraska's body language just looks different, how it makes them uh, a superior team because... because of the way they look like they're gelling. The body language of Creighton has also shifted since those first two losses in the Big East. And I really noticed it in the Providence win when Ashworth got involved. Because if you remember, I was like, I, I think I told you this either before the holiday break or, or right after, where I wanted to see Creighton get their non-stars more involved. And when he hit that three late against Providence, you saw the reaction from Mac, You saw the reaction from the bench, the team on the court. It just seems like the attitude of Creighton is just different right now.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah I think it it comes down to attitude quite a bit in this game of basketball. It's any anyone's game any night and it's really about what team shows up. so I think getting Ashworth going he didn't have the greatest game last night, still seven assists though so he was still involved in facilitating. but uh, you look at a guy like Trey Alexander who had his little slump if you if you want to call it that and then he comes back and he's a little bit more consistent and and getting up into seventeen, 20 points but um, I think another guy they have to get going is Ryan Kalkbrenner, and that's a guy that I do look at his body language for because I think coming into Creighton, he'll even attest to this, he just wasn't he wasn't a vocal leader. He wasn't a guy that would speak up a lot, but I think he was really pushed into that role. Uh, I think McDermott really challenged him to, to step up and be a vocal leader. And also Baylor Shireman because last year the biggest thing I noticed was Baylor was kind of timid at times and, and not taking shots he might normally would because I think he was – just so worried about um, wanting to fit into that role and not overstepping his boundaries and coach max has spoken to this in his press conferences too and talked to me about it just he's taken on a different role this year and i think the keys are almost in his hand any time out anytime there's a break during play he's always going like this with his hands bringing the team in together and those are the those are the little things that you look at when you when you talk about body language of okay who's who's in control of this team who is the guy they're going to look at when things are going bad especially when when it's on the road or someone's not having a great shooting night but yeah I, I would attest a lot of that to to uh, to Baylor and I think there has been a shift Andrew I think you're right in the fact that um, there's just been Uh, more confidence with the team I mean to start off with two conference losses when you're preseason number eight that's not a good feeling whatsoever and they've been there done that with the expectations but it's it still hurts when you fall out of the top 25 and I think these guys um, will play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as they did last year so I think it's it's almost a good thing that they fell out and uh, get right back in there in the what 22 23 and um, can find a way to to win ball games down the stretch and the ones that matter are in March, so you just got to figure it out until then.
0: <laughs> We're talking with Anna Bellinghausen of Herd At Sports. Anna, you know, they've got this stretch coming up here, and it, it maybe isn't the, the typical murderer's row of Big East teams, but you've got St. John's, who's won four of their last five. They're all of a sudden playing really good basketball. Then you go at UConn, which is going to be a bear, obviously. You go at Seton Hall which has three top 25 wins in their last five games, and they're playing really good basketball under Coach Holloway all of a sudden. This is a really interesting stretch for them before they get a little bit of a breather at the end of the month and into February a little bit. How do you think they're playing right now as opposed to maybe a few games ago, and how do you think they're going to navigate this stretch?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's better, and the stat I always will go back to is turnovers because that shows you how on point this team is with each other. How are they playing together? Um, Is there miscommunication? What's happening in in that realm? Because we know Creighton's such a good team with ball movement. They're so unselfish. They pretty much have an assist on every made basket almost every night. So those are the kind of stats that I look at that can sort of indicate that. But Honestly, I think it does go back to that body language talk and in uh, confidence overall because I think this, this team is an emotional one. I think they show that. Um, they wear their, their hearts on, on their sleeves, if you will. So I think that is a, a big indicator. But as for maneuvering this, this schedule, I mean, you look at St. John's and that's not a team to overlook, like you mentioned, Ravi. Uh, it is at home. I think it's going to be a sellout, so I think that will help. Uh, but then you go at UConn, and I think that's maybe – their biggest test of the year I would say uh, I think that'll maybe either expose some things for them of what they think's working really well right now these past three wins or it's going to continue to uplift that confidence if they get a win in stores which I, I think would catapult this season uh, even further for for Creighton and how they're feeling right now but yeah I think it's I like how the schedule set up and the fact that they don't have Three or four uh, top 25 games in a row, like it felt like they did last year, maybe even more. Um, but I think it's set up in a good way to where they'll be battle tested, but they'll also, um, you know, not be not be too down on themselves if there's one or two losses in a row. I think that's a huge difference between losing six in a row. You think back to last year versus, hey, maybe we'll drop one to UConn. we we'll, we'll, we drop one to Marquette and Villanova, but hey, we can get on back on track here and maybe pull off a couple games that we didn't think we would get, uh, especially with UConn.
3: And I'm going to ask one more and then we're going to play a little trivia with you. We're going to kick Ravi out and uh, and get this thing going. As you kind of like looked across the Big East there, it had me thinking, you know, you, you had mentioned Creighton was top 10 to open the year. And and if if people had to guess, they probably put Creighton at third best in the Big East behind Marquette and UConn to open things up. Mm -hmm. Where do you think Creighton is at today? Like, take out the conference records, the overall records, like whatever, because Marquette is middle of the pack and, you know, UConn's Mm -hmm. at the top, which makes sense. But where do you think Creighton is? Are they borderline three? Are they below that number? Where do you have them?
4: Yeah, I think you asked me this what like a month and a half ago, and I think I said UConn, Creighton, Marquette. Um, that's tough to say. I mean, obviously Marquette beat Creighton, so it's tough to to say that Creighton's a better team there. But again, it was it was on the road, so I'll be curious to see what happens when uh, the Golden Eagles come into town. But uh, it, it's it's tough to say. I I still think Connecticut's the clear number one. Um, so I'm I'm probably gonna stick with that. Maybe you say Marquette and Creighton are a little bit more even right now um but yeah it's it's tough to say Big East is just really any given night with any team so it's a tough it's a tough question to answer um can I have more time Andrew that's that's my that's my uh, my answer
1: yeah yeah i let you
4: you know in like
3: March yeah I'll give you another month and a half (laughs) yeah that'd be perfect
4: then I'll have a real good answer
3: all right let's do let's do some trivia Ravi leave the studio take your phone um, but Shane normally comes to get you anyway, so it, it really doesn't matter, I guess. Shane, can you play some music for it? Get us the trivia music going. I up. would love to play
1: some trivia music.
3: Anna, how confident are you feeling today? Because you tied Robbie last time in questions. I did. He got you in the tiebreaker. Yeah. See, I don't know. Like, uh, depends how Andrew is feeling this morning. I feel like you really want to
4: take me down on this trivia, so I feel like these are going to be really.
3: Ah, we'll see we'll see remember sometimes i stay relevant sometimes i get a little adventurous here's your first question and a three players of the 21st century that's 2000 and uh 2001 and beyond have been crowned nfl mvps that didn't play the position of quarterback adrian peterson was the most recent sean alexander was the first who was smashed in between was it Randy Moss? Ladanian Tomlinson or Chris Johnson?
2: Hmm. Ah, shoot. Chris
4: Johnson, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna go LT.
3: LT, all right. Question number two. Anna, Tiger Woods is the youngest golfer ever to win the Masters. How old was he when he did it? Was he 20, 21, or 22?
4: I should know this because I
3: watched the documentary, but I (laughs) think I'm 22. So if you missed that question, uh, you know the uh, people in the stream are going to come after you. They're going to come get you. All right, question number three. Anna, which NFL team has won the most playoff games? Is it the Patriots, the Cowboys, or the Packers?
4: Mm. So you would think Patriots. Oh, but you got to think history, probably. Mm. I'm going to go Packers.
3: Didn't sound very confident there. <laughs> I don't
4: know. It could be Patriots, <laughs> but I feel like that might just be recency bias with, uh,
3: with Brady. But. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. A tiebreaker question for you. What average, what is the average head speed of Tiger's driver moving at when he makes contact with the ball? So this is in miles per hour. What do you think? Oh, I'm just giving it to you. Yeah, remember the tiebreaker is closest uh, to? Yeah
4: yeah yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, I know. I'm going to go. I have
3: no idea. Uh
4: <laughs> 98 miles per hour.
3: Thank you. Anna, bring Robbie back in, Shane. Uh, The king has arrived fashionably late. Anna, how you feeling? Not good. I mean, I'm never
4: going to say I feel good about this trivia stuff.
3: She says not good today, Robbie. That's how she's feeling.
4: She did did
3: say that
0: last week. Yeah, Anna, you you, you lowballed me last week and said you didn't feel good about (laughs) it either. So
3: I don't know if I believe you. Okay, Robbie, you ready to go? Let's do it. Question number one. Robbie, remember you get one Hail Mary. Okay. Three players of the 21st century have been crowned NFL MVPs that didn't play the position of quarterback. Adrian Peterson was the most recent. Yep. Sean Alexander was the first. Who was smashed in between? Oh, God. Come on now. Um...
0: Okay, those were the two I definitely knew. You're welcome. The three. <laughs> how dare you? Um, all right, hold on. I can do this. So, Alexander was early 2000s. Adrian Peterson was like, oh, 8, 10, somewhere in there. So, who are we looking at? I want to. I don't want to use my Hail Mary this early,
3: <laughs> but I'm going to. What's Give me my all options. All right, your options are Randy Moss and Tomlinson or Chris Johnson? Oh, dang it. That didn't help me that much. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> so Chris
0: Johnson had the 2,000 yard like Michael Penitzk's throw into Roma Dunze in the first half. Right. Didn't uh, help him very much. You know, I know Chris Johnson had that 2,000-yard season, but I don't think he won the MVP. I, I'm going to go with and He deserved it if he didn't get it. <laughs>
3: Robbie's award Yes, (laughs) Robbie's MVP, my personal record book Alright Robbie, question number two Tiger Woods is the youngest golfer ever To win the Masters How old was he when he did it? Okay, it was 1997 Which
0: which only helps you If you know when he was born Make him (laughs) He's currently 48 Which means 97 was Uh, So he was, was he 21? Is that right? 20, 27, 97 was 27 years ago. I'm going to say he was, I'm going to skew a, I'm going to
3: say he was 22 years old. Question number three, which NFL team has won the most playoff games? Ooh, like ever? Ever. NFL team won the most playoff games. So I feel like this
0: is going to skew recent because the playoffs are longer than they used to be. I'm going to go.
3: I'm going to go Patriots here. And the tiebreaker question. Okay, What is the average head speed of Tiger's driver? Or what is Tiger's driver's head speed moving at when he makes contact with the ball in miles per hour? Okay, this is the tiebreaker.
0: Alright, so I think the really good exit velos are in the high hundreds. The club speed, I think, is less than that. I'm guessing, I want to say 112. Robbie. I don't feel good today. I'll be honest. That was a tough one. I feel like you're ratcheting up the intensity on me. A little
3: Let's bit here. go through the answers. Okay. Um, what makes me laugh? There is you said uh, the head speed is is high hundreds, and then you went 112. No, the, I said
0: exit velo. So oh, the ball exit coming velo. out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The ball coming out is what all I. All right. All
3: right. Sounds good. Yeah. All, all right. right. I forgive you. <laughs> all right. Question number one. Anna, you ready to go? You Oof. ready to see if you won? I'm ready. I don't feel good today, Anna. That was a tough one. <laughs> All right, guys, three players of the 21st century have been crowned NFL MVPs that didn't play the position of quarterback. Adrian Peterson was the most recent. That was 2012. Oh, okay. Sean Alexander was the first. That was 2005. Who was smashed in between? Was it Randy Moss, Ladanian Tomlinson, or Chris Johnson? You both said LT. You both are correct. Okay, nice. Question number two. Tiger Woods is the youngest golfer ever. To win the Masters, how old was he when he did it? Was he 20 years old, 21 years old, or 22 years old? You both said 22. You both are incorrect. Was he 21? He was 21. Gosh, I I added one. Dang it. Well, you did what like the, the perfect thing because who knows when his birthday right. actually Yeah, was. like I knew how old so he was. So was he 22 yet? Yes. Was uh. he still 21? Got to remember, I think Tiger was born in December, and the Masters was are it, before. Yeah, in it's August? in April. A- the Masters April? is in. Was it in August during COVID? I it's think in it April. April. It's normally it's April. April. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so he was in the front. Dang it. Uh, and question number three, tied at one apiece, which NFL team has won the most playoff games all time? Is it the Patriots, the Cowboys, or the Packers? Anna, you said the Packers. Ravi, you said the Patriots. I did. The answer is the Patriots. Yes. Oh. Yes. The Cowboys have actually played the most playoff games. Right. But haven't won the most. And the Packers, I threw in there because they won the first Super Bowl. So sorry, Anna, I tricked you. That's
4: that's literally what I was thinking about.
3: But don't worry, Anna. You still would have lost because the tiebreaker question of Tiger's average head speed for his driver when he makes contact with the ball is 122 miles per hour. Anna said 98, Robbie said 112. Okay, I I feel okay about that. Anna, right now you're 0 for 2 but you'll get him back eventually. I will. That was
0: a
4: tough I got, one. I'm gonna
3: swing in Anna's wheelhouse of at one at one point in time, like where I ask yes, Royals please. questions, yes. oh. and I ask a lot of uh, maybe I'll ask some College World Series questions. That'd be oh, great. Okay. Yeah, Bobby do that. Handle, do that. I, but think, I think Anna could,
0: lived and breathed those moments as a child. I think I could. I think I could hang in the College World Series. That was that was kind of my wheelhouse for a long time. Royals might be tough. I was a big, like, Joe Randa guy in the early 2000s, but that... uh Ravi,
3: I need you to make sure that (laughs) next time we do trivia, you look up all of Anna's videos, because maybe the question is, who was the last person Anna interviewed? (laughs) I might have to do... Oh
4: yeah. I don't
0: even know who that is. She wouldn't even get that one right. (laughs) She's like, was it a supernova? I might have to, to, you know, hit the books a little on my Royals trivia. That's... uh, Mm -hmm. That's a good one there. So I've got don't worry, I got plenty of resources I can I can tap for my Royals info. There you so go. no, I'm sure listen, I feel like you guys are gonna start skew these skewing these away from me to, to try and get me an L here. No. I, I would never do that. It feels like that's what's happening. It's all right. It's all right. Listen.
3: You, you sit on the top of the mountain. People are going to come for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know what? Just like, just like you, like you know, forgetting how to say words today. You've yeah. been on the top of Everest all day. I have. It's, it's oxygen depletion. <laughs> that's why I can't say anything right
0: today. Uh, Anna, we appreciate you joining us as always. Even though you know you didn't didn't come hang out with us in person, that's okay. Yeah, we get it. We get it. We'll give you a. Yeah. P- yeah. Shane we'll, actually put deodorant on today too. We we'll, couldn't fine. believe you. Uh, we'll give you a pass to today, come. but uh, we'll check it. We'll. Uh, Check in with you again next week, Anna. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, thanks, guys. See, you, Ab. That's Anna Bellinghausen. Coming up next, you uh, you know, you mentioned Tiger Woods there a couple times in that trivia. There was some big Tiger news Woods this week, and uh, I'll be honest, it, it had me a little nostalgic for my childhood when I heard it. Maybe and, a uh, little somber. A as little, well. yeah. Maybe you know, you know, just we're uh, very reflective over his career. We'll get to that next here on Hardat Sports Radio. <laughs>
2: You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Put back
5: up, no good, and the rebound to Trey King and a foul call. No, they wave it off. That's gonna do it. How fitting is it that Trey King ends the game with a defensive rebound because he played a terrific game and Iowa State knocks off number two Houston, fifty-seven to
4: fifty-three.
0: I actually been, There we go. Welcome back <laughs> to Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula, Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And for hour number three, we're on KFOR in Lincoln. As we come down to about the last half hour of the show here, uh, we do have a little bit of breaking news, I suppose. There's a lot of Chicago Bears fans here. In uh, well, the studio uh, as I'm a sitting. lot.
3: Thirty-three percent of the people in this building are Bears fans. Listen, right now. if that
0: was true of the entire population of Omaha, that's a lot of Bears fans. That is. I don't think it is, but uh, <laughs> we've got. No, I was going to say there's a lot of Bears fans in Omaha because there are. Chicago, it's a pretty close. Uh, I feel like most of the Bears fans in Omaha are a little older, though. They're like people that were. That they are. Memorable were like of. Oh, oh, I'm not memorable. Sick. <laughs> no, they could remember when they were really good in the '80s. I think those are the people in Omaha that are, that are Bears fans Robbie, now. I don't
3: live in the past. I don't live in the 80s. You never
0: lived in the 80s, actually. actually only lived in the 90s for like three years. I was saying, physically, you did not live in the, in the 80s. Um, but they have the Bears have fired offensive coordinator, Luke Getzey, which we talked about earlier this, this week, last week. I don't know. It all blends together. Uh, but, you know, after we talked to Cynthia Freeland about, from the NFL Network about how they mishandled just completely – Justin Fields and, and it be it bewildered me how they just decided. Oh, Justin Fields doesn't get a run for the first half of the season. And guess what? The Bears were very bad in the first half of the season. They decided to let Justin Fields be Justin Fields, and all of a sudden they finished seven and nine. Um, Luke, Isn't that funny how that works? Uh, Luke uh, Luke Getzey definitely deserved to be fired for that blunder alone. Uh, Matt Eberflus probably saved his job with that stretch uh, in the last half of the season, but what'll well, be interesting to see who they bring in there to try and get the most out of Justin Fields. I think this is as a,
3: long as Justin Fields is still the guy. Assuming that is yeah. the million-dollar question to be asked to the, to this day, and I think I'm it's cool. trending in the direction that he will be. Right, and I'm cool with Justin Fields. Um, I'm also cool with going to the draft. Like I, I don't really have a true preference sure. on what the Bears should do or need to do because I think Justin Fields will be successful if he says, say, he ends up at or in Atlanta and you know he's back in his hometown and you know he's playing for his home state. Like Justin Fields will have a successful career where where he goes. And Atlanta is in true need of. Uh, Atlanta is really uh, intriguing of, of a quarterback and the Bears could get some picks out of it. So there, there's a lot of good that can come from it. And there's also a lot of good quarterbacks in the draft if they don't want to take Caleb Williams at one. If they want to trade out of that pick because you still have Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix. There's some other good names in the draft that are, are worthy of taking and, and potentially could turn into your franchise quarterback. Now, I say all that to now go back to the point of Getzee. If Justin Fields is still in house, I would love an offensive coordinator like Ken Dorsey was fired from Buffalo earlier this season, and Dorsey knows how to mix in the quarterback run with the pass very well, and he's done that with Josh Allen, and we've seen him have a lot of success. I don't know why Ken Dorsey got fired. I I still, to this day, think he's a really good offensive coordinator, and the Bears would make a lot of sense for him. The only other uh, offensive coordinator coordinator that I'd want is Todd Munkin, Mm -hmm. but Todd Munkin is not going to leave Baltimore. He just got there. Right, and he, and he yeah. just started working with Lamar. So, if it's Justin Fields, give me Ken Dorsey. If it's not Justin Fields, and they go with a a, a fresh young quarterback, then I think, you know, your options are wide open mm-hmm. because whoever you bring in will be attached to that quarterback, and then you know if that quarterback doesn't have success. Then it's also on the offensive coordinator because that's something that I, I also believe kept Eberflus's job is he didn't draft Justin Fields. That was a different coaching staff that had Fields, and then Eberflus just came into a situation. So that could also fall on then is Eberflus a good head coach if they draft a new quarterback? Do they make it work with that young quarterback? Because if they don't, then they don't really know how to coach football, and you have to move on completely from everybody. Another guy
0: that you should think about as your offensive coordinator if you are sticking with Justin Fields is Greg Roman. I know that uh, that's a good one. He's the one that kind of designed that offense around Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. He resigned after last year um, because of some. Kind of inexplicable play calling and he ended up kind of taking I mean listen he he obviously was the one calling the plays but it, it really overshadowed um, how good he was in designing an offense around Lamar Jackson that to me is a guy that and I believe he was there when the 49ers were using um, Kaepernick calling Kaepernick as well Is that with Harbaugh yes. I believe he helped design the Kaepernick offense that we saw be super effective as well. So that's a guy to me that's Yeah, that, really that's a good interested. one, too. And, and he's not name. working. I mean, he's, he's currently hey, not coaching. Well,
3: same thing with Dorsey. Both guys right. are
0: free agents um, in a way. And so th- those are ones that, like, if you really want to take advantage of Justin Fields' legs, Greg Roman has as good of a track record of, of anybody of... Getting running quarterbacks effective in the NFL—that's a guy that I would look at. Still pretty young, just 51 years old, um, and has has a pretty good track record there. So that's a guy that I would pay attention with, uh, pay attention to for sure.
3: Yeah, Matthew on the stream says, "Don't trade Justin Fields for another Justin Fields." Like I, I I'm with that line of fair. Work. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on that same path, but I'm also on the path to like, um, if I got Michael Penix, I'm cool with Michael Penix because I loved watching Michael Penix this season. And I don't think there's a Justin Fields. Type, I mean,
0: maybe Jaden Daniels. I would that's that's where I would
3: lean Um, more. Justin Fields, but
0: for the most part, like I know, like Penix can be mobile. He's not a runner. Uh, Caleb Williams is very mobile, is a pass first guy. Uh, Bonix, mobile, but a pass first guy. Most of the guys in the draft this year are mobile, but clearly pass first. I know Justin Fields was pass first at Ohio State, but his legs are a much bigger part of what he does than any of those guys outside. Of Jaden Daniels I mean shoot Didn't
3: Cam Ward uh, Commit to uh, Commit Decide that he's going yes. To the NFL
0: draft And I don't know I don't know where he's gonna be That's and an you interesting you know what one. What
3: could be really interesting here is Maybe And to build off of uh, Matt's second point Is starting with the lines And then select Uh a quarterback maybe it's a situation of okay in the early picks you keep mm-hmm. fields you you build up your line yes you maybe get another piece on the outside you make that offense elite and then and say the third round you take a flyer on somebody you take somebody. a flyer on you know whoever maybe like cam Ward. maybe cam wards if, in there if that's on third where round. he is i don't yeah. the, we'll, we'll have to see after the combine where all these guys fall and outside of the first round i don't have
0: a good feel on who else is projected where at this point um but yeah, that's definitely an option as well. If you're not 100% sold on Justin Fields, but maybe you want to give him another chance with a different offensive coordinator, um, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this because I don't think, I don't, I don't know how far away they are if you get Justin mm-hmm. Fields right. Like, I, I don't know that this is a, I don't know if they're a, a, a Super Bowl contender, but I don't know how far off they are from the playoffs if they get Justin Fields playing right. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. Uh, real quick here before uh, we hop into our last segment, which is going to be with... A little NBA talk. Yeah, with Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report. Uh, there was some big NBA news over the last couple of days, so I wanted to touch uh, touch base with Dan. Uh, before we did that, though, there was some big news. We, we mentioned Tiger Woods and trivia a little bit there. And Tiger Woods and Nike are splitting ways. They have finally ended their 27-year uh, partnership, and it, it it feels like a really big deal. I mean, it feels like if Michael Jordan left Nike. You know, it feels like if—maybe LeBron is a better example, because um, LeBron and Nike have been embedded for almost as long as Tiger Woods and Nike, and I just— the idea of Michael Jordan leaving Nike just doesn't even seem feasible. Um, but it, it was the the Tiger Woods Nike thing was Can't really a, make Nike Tiger Woods shoes though, right? I yeah. mean, I guess they could. I mean, they did make golf shoes with right. the Tiger Woods logo and stuff. And their golf but brand that's what makes Jordan so iconic. Is the yeah. well, he's got of his shoes. own like brand, basically, right. not just he's a Nike guy. Um, but Tiger Woods was the closest thing Nike had to Michael Jordan. And honestly, they since could Michael make a ton Jordan, of
3: money off of golf shoes.
0: And they, well, they make Jordan golf shoes now. Right? Have you seen those? Where it's yeah, like the yeah, classic right. Jordan uh-huh. styles mm-hmm. with golf. Like I almost want to start golfing just so I can get a, a pair get a of. Pa-
3: I need a pair of Tigers. I
0: need a pair of Jordan Elevens with the with the golf cleats on them. Um, that. But it, it was one of the more iconic partnerships, and especially when if you were in an appreciable age like I was late. 90s, early 2000s, those Tiger Woods Nike commercials were, I mean, just embedded in my memory. It was, I've never been a huge
3: golf guy, but there was a time where I was a huge Tiger Woods guy. And I'm a, I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. Now, what, correct me if I'm wrong, was there a point in time after a lot of the the baggage that he's been carrying with him over the course of these last 20 years uh, where Nike and him had like a falling out and then they came back together? Well,
0: they pulled him from a lot of the public stuff. Maybe that's what it is, was. Is kind of what it was, but officially over after 27 years.
2: You're listening to Hurt At Sports Radio. When I look back on these situations, it's like, can you remove the antics? I'm very confident I can remove the antics. And I'm very confident if I do remove the antics, no one's worried about how I play the game of basketball. You know, nobody's worried about how I carry myself in the game of basketball, but it's the antics.
0: Wrapping up the show here on a Wednesday on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula, Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. You can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube streams as well. Joining us now on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline is Dan Favalli from the Bleacher Report. Dan, how are you this morning? Hey, Dan, Dan can you hear you there?
3: us? Uh,
0: I'm doing well there
3: do he is all right <laughs> we
0: are doing well you know we we will we'll start off with Draymond here Dan because our producer just played a cut of him talking about how he's confident he can cut out the antics um, it's been like 15 years of this how confident are you that Draymond can cut out the antics
1: uh, I don't think we can default to confidence. I think it's a very much a situation of we'll just believe it when we see it. Can he go the rest of the season without having an on-court incident that ends up costing his team um, just valuable winning and competitive equity? If he gets suspended again or gets thrown out of a game or does something in a game that changes the tenor of it, it's as you said. It's been a, almost a decade and a half of this. I do hope everything is all right in his personal life, but you can't. You know, he said didn't go along these lines before. Um, And so I think it's, like I said, it's just a very much we'll believe it when we see it situation.
3: Dan, as, um, you know, the Grizzlies were just starting to get some legs underneath them. They got them swiped away with the loss of John Morant. And it's not a team that uh, finished second in the West without John Morant on this team. Um, Instead of what could have been a get-to-the-play-in-game hope, Memphis has to sleep well still knowing
1: they'll end up with a lottery pick, right? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly not going to catch the Spurs, the Wizards, that group, the Pistons, of course. But they were pretty bad without John Morant. They had the worst offense in the league before he came back. And so they're a team that, you know, maybe they don't end up with as bad a record as the Charlotte Hornets or maybe even the Blazers, but they could have top six, top seven lottery odds and you know maybe they get lucky and they still do have some assets and so i saw some people calling this a blessing in disguise i would totally disagree with that but you are gonna have the ability to recalibrate and put um a much better product on the floor full strength next season i think the real big question for them um though is uh, can you figure out what's going on with marcus smart he got injured again in their game Mm -hmm. Last night, he hasn't been great this year, and so do you look at moving him for other assets given what you got up to get him?
0: We're talking with Dan Favali of the Bleacher Report. Uh, You mentioned some of the the bottom-tier teams in the league, the Hornets, you know, the Wizards are down there, obviously the Pistons, which the Pistons maybe seem like the most hopeless of the entire group, Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's pretty obvious that the Spurs have the most hope, right, just because of Wemby, or or do you have more concerns about them than some of these other teams?
1: No, I don't have more concerns about the Spurs. I would like to see them, and they've gotten better at it um, in a little bit, in part because of injuries, just in part it does seem like they're going to rely on some of the, the Trey Jones-Wemby minutes a little bit more. Um, but they need to get kind of another offensive organizer in there, because while I appreciate experimentation with Jeremy Sohan. Running point, or just giving Wemby a lot of touches from the perimeter. It's clear that he's best optimized if you can get him going to the basket, and maybe getting him the basket of, excuse me, the ball closer to the basket. And right now, they don't have a ton of guys that can do that, and so that's going to be the challenge for them. Not just looking ahead to future drafts and free agency, but maybe even at the trade deadline. You're not interested in winning games as much as other teams right now. Clearly, while you're developing, but you do want to optimize and streamline the development of the single most important player in your building and of the next you know 10 15 18 20 years hopefully and so I'm very interested to see how they they go about that. Dan Eric Spolstra
3: got paid last night uh, eight year deal 120 plus million dollars added to for a contract extension and my question to you is this because we know that uh, the Heat have made it to the big game they just haven't been able to Kind of take that next step when they're there, at least recently. But Spo is, I mean, he's just an incredible coach in my eyes. And I guess my question to you is: We see so much turnover at that at that um, spot on in in with NBA teams, I guess. And what's made Spo different over the years to be able to kind of control his own destiny? even when we see some coaches that win NBA titles get
1: fired two, three years later? I think the two things that stand out the most are he is, has to be maybe the most adaptable coach in the NBA when you look at the iteration of teams mm. that he's coached. Whereas I think this is cropping up a lot right now at Steve Kern and Golden State, is that he was never necessarily a player development guy. And so that's why he struggled handling with, with the youngsters and communicating with some of the youngsters there. Um, sure so we've seen him take teams post Big Three um, to, to heights that you already mentioned, that really belie the talent on their roster. But he's also coached a bunch of stars. Um, I do think it helps that he's had the pretty strong backing of the front office, even even dating back to when you know members of Big Three didn't necessarily want him there during that era. And then finally, you hear um, from these players that there's never any quibbling over what their role is that he always makes everyone understand where their place is in the pecking order. And I think that communication might even be bigger than any of the adjustments and the the strategies that he employs on the court, which the latter of which they're so complex and effective that they can go over your head. And so that's a huge part. So I think he should probably be the highest paid coach by a sizable margin, and in net he now is, but per year I think he's now second behind Pop. But this is just definitely a harbinger of how valuable and critical he is to that organization.
0: We're talking with Dan Volley of Bleacher Report. You mentioned the heat, and sometimes they overachieve their talent. A team with plenty of talent is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who uh, I don't know if people are surprised by the leap they've taken this year, but they've certainly put uh, the rest of the league on notice. How do you think Oklahoma City should handle this balance of continuing to develop, uh, obviously, their very young core but also maybe trading in some of their trade assets to try and become a contender right now. Because we've seen a lot of these young teams think, oh, we've got a really long championship window. And lately it almost never plays out that way. Do you think Oklahoma City has to start thinking about being a legitimate
1: contender as soon as now? I absolutely think that they do, because you can look at the core and say, well, I mean, look, we have J-Dubb and we have Shed Homer, we have Shed Gilchrist-Alexander. We have the ability to be good for a really long time. We've seen these windows before just open and close very quickly, and even Mm -hmm. in OKC, when you look at them making that finals run together in 2012, and then that's it with that core of Ibaka, Harden, Westbrook, and Kevin Durant. Um, I think the balance is, when you look at this year specifically, Making really big additions is just hard in the middle of the year. and So I think you look more so at fine-tuning the roster. Can you get more defensive rebounding? Can you get a higher-volume shooter in the in the half court that maybe cracks the top seven or eight in your rotation and could appear in the postseason? And then you really have to look inward over the offseason when you're going to start dealing with the Josh Giddey extension. Um, you have some of these other guys that you're not really using in, in Poku um, and Trey Mann who are coming up um, on on free agency, and that's when you look at making the bigger move based off what happens in the postseason. It's not about being brash or trying to accelerate, it's really about just understanding that title windows, no matter how long it appears like they're going to be open, they're like two to three, maybe four years at this rate. And I think you need to maximize your time at the top of the, the pecking order of the league, and the Thunder are closer to that than not right now. And so I think that question is going to be more of an off-season question, but it's one that they absolutely do need to ask and answer heading into this summer. Dan, got a couple
0: minutes left here with you. You mentioned the championship windows and how short they can be now. It really seemed like instead of maximizing their championship window with Steph Curry, Golden State went all in on trying to make a longer championship window with a young core of Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and James Wiseman. Half of those guys are already gone. Kaminga is unhappy there in Golden State. Is there a way for them to pivot still at this point to maybe go out and make a trade to become relevant again in this championship conversation? Or, as I think, have they pretty much just botched the end of the Curry late prime and this championship window?
1: Yeah, I think it's more so the latter, where it feels like they've bought the end of the late championship window and that even the more we look back on that 2022 title run, um, you don't want to say it was fluky or lucky, but it was kind of lightning in a bottle. Uh, And I look at the trade market, the Warriors have the assets, they have some of their young players, they, they have some picks, they have some salary matching tools. But there's just no guy that you look at and say, well, he elevates them to here. That's on the market, whether it's Pascal Siakam, whether it's DeJounte Murray, even trying to think about players who could maybe appear on the trade market that aren't being talked about, whether it's Lowry Markin in Utah or Mikael Bridges from Brooklyn. And that's assuming they could even have the best offer. Yeah. It's not even just a matter of mishandled it well now they're getting to a point where they have to figure out how to handle some of the vets where if Clay Thompson isn't playing as well or Andrew Wiggins is imploding or even once Raymond Green comes back what if he's you know he's made threes and played pretty well defensively this year when he's on the court um but what if he slips and so now they're just juggling all these different balls in the air and I don't know how they catch them and it's not I don't think it's a matter of one player or one move it probably has to be a a series of them and at that they might be able to you know address make some consolidation moves over the off season but again based off the trade market right now i'd be shocked if there's anyone they could acquire who changes their trajectory that's
0: dan Favali from bleach report dan we appreciate your time and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon
1: Most well, definitely thank you guys for having me take care
0: thanks dan that's dan Favali from the bleacher report that is all we have for you here on a wednesday On Herd at Sports Radio. Andrew and I will be back tomorrow. And hopefully maybe we're talking about another uh, Husker commitment out of the transfer portal. Who knows? Wouldn't hate it. We will see here on Herd at Sports Radio.